Welcome to the Games Growth Podcast. This week on the podcast, we're interviewing Adam Lieb and Christian Thomas of GameSight. GameSight did a deep analysis of PC and console games in 2023, and we're really excited to have them on and talk to them in depth about that analysis, what it means for PC and console gamers, and how that compares and contrasts to mobile. I thought it was a really good episode. It's really interesting hearing their perspective. Adam and the team are very sharp. Warren had some nice contrast on the mobile side. Warren, what do you think? I love this conversation. I love talking shop with Adam and Christian. The guys at GameSite are super bright, super candid, no BS. And I thought it was a really good combination of hard data that they had around what's going on in PC games growth, as well as just sort of like the more qualitative in the trenches, what they see doing this kind of work. And I really like talking to these guys because any growth marketers, we're all specced a little bit differently. And like here at Uptick, like we're really high specced in like performance marketing, free-to-play strategies, Web3 and stuff like this. And the GameSite guys, like they're really high spec in things like influencer marketing and PC console. We have fewer stat points distributed there. So I think that the four voices on this podcast, we all complemented each other well, brought insights from the slightly different perspective and areas of focus that the team has. And I think there's a lot of actionable tips on this one, like the, the ratio of actionable tips per minute is much higher than normal for anyone doing performance marketing on PC or console. So yeah, high value episode. Check it out. You're going to dig it. All right. Welcome to the show, everyone. Really excited for the episode this week. We have two folks from our friends at GameSite joining. We have Adam, who's been on the show a couple of times before, and Christian joining. And we wanted to join today to dig into this recent report they put together entitled Games Industry Digital Marketing Spend Analysis. I think you guys got to make that title a little more click shady, but the meat of this report is excellent. And I think it really ties into a few topics that Xander and I have talked about on the show a lot. Reviewing the last year, we're in the beginning of 2024, so we've done a lot of year in review stuff lately. And it really felt like a banner year for PC and console gaming, but we haven't had a lot of hard data around that. It's just been more of like a vibe check of like, it feels like all the excitement is in that space, the games winning awards, where player enthusiasm is. So you guys are bringing a lot of interesting hard data around this in this report, and we're keen to dig into it with you. So welcome to the show, Christian, and welcome back, Adam. Great to have you guys here. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I'd say clickbait is not a skill that we have in spades here at GameSite. <laughs> so I guess I'll take that note. Data-oriented uh, to a fall, I think. It's an accurate title. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, you know, I, I think much of our audience will know who GameSite is. We've talked about you guys at Nauseam. We recommend you for PC and console attribution as a preferred partner. But for those who don't know, Adam, do you want to just give a little bit of background about what GameSite is and give the highlight of the company? Sure, yeah. So GameSite's a marketing platform built for PC and console games. We do marketing measurement. means a bunch of things these days, but the flagship for a lot of it is digital marketing attribution. So we're connecting the dots between what's happening outside of games with marketing, community, influencer efforts with what's happening in the games, with sales, revenue, in-game events, stuff that game companies care about. So that's the heart of the business. So we have like certainly a ton of data that flows through the business. And you know, this report is our kind of summary for the last year of where game companies and PC console space are spending their money, how that's changed year over year, what is maybe working better, what's working not quite as well. And yeah, maybe things to look forward to next year that if you're not working, if you're not trying, maybe you ought to be. So yeah, I think it's a fair summary. Awesome. Anything to add, Christian? We do a lot of things with the business. We have the influencer side of the business. We have creator programs that we do. 
the core flagship stuff, which made this report possible, the attribution side of the business. We kind of bring all of these things together to really just help game companies grow. So game developers and publishers getting their games out there, reaching the right audiences. So that's the name of the game. Awesome. So I guess let's start at the 10,000 foot view. Let's do a very, very brief overview of what would you say is the current state of PC and console games in 2023? Great. I would say great would be my my summary. I think that the few data points I would point to to have someone believe me when I say they're great is if you just look at revenue growth and you look at last year, PC gaming was the largest growth sector in gaming. Mobile shrunk, browser web stuff shrunk a lot. It's been shrinking and console grew mildly. So PC games was the largest growth sector and it's obviously the oldest sector of all of the gaming vertical. So it's kind of crazy to think that that's now the fastest growing, at least it was in 2023. I that's a big data point we look at. The stat I hear a lot is that there were the most 90 plus Metacritic score games released in 2023 than like the history of the industry. Also wild. You know, there's a lot of counting stats kind of going up into the right every year. You know, number of Steam games released last year was the greatest ever, but that was also true the year before, the year before, and the year before. So some of those things are these kind of like forever trends. But I think when you just look at where money was spent last year, where gamers chose to spend money, PC did better than it has in years past. And I think more, I guess, anecdotally, you know, if we could certainly look at the Metacritic source, but more anecdotally, there's just like a ton of great games and they were not all AAA premium $70 sort of flagship games. There were a bunch of those and huge ones, the Baldur's Gates and the Hogwarts Legacies and the Tears of the Kingdom, all of those types of games. But there are also so many triple I or double A games that were huge hits. There were some lethal company of an indie game made by one person that grossed $70 million. Like every part of the, yeah, I know we're all in the wrong business. Every part of the ecosystem had huge wins. So yeah, it's in a healthy place from a consumer standpoint. There's so many games to play, so many amazing games to play. The ability to make a game has never been easier, right? The cost of development from obviously the like sort of unity type tools, maybe some of the AI tools have never been easier to make a game, but I still think distributing a game, getting your game in front of players is probably harder now than it's ever been. So when I say it's great, I definitely mean from sort of an industry health standpoint, I think from an in of one, you're a single game studio. Yeah, it's probably scary out there. There's so much competition breaking through the noise and being that one in, you know, I don't know, when I think about Lethal Company, right? What single game developer made 70 million? It's like, well, how many games like that existed? Thousands and thousands. So, you know, how do you be the one in right. several thousand? And Unfortunately, the answer isn't, well, let's just go copy what somebody else did. That tends to not ever work. That would be my general state of the PC games industry. Right. Well, in our 2023 year in review episode, I called PC the platform of the year. And our guest at the time, Mike Schmidt, yelled at me. And so I got to say, second Mike Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Jada, Jada. Uh, see, I was, see, I was right. See, I was right. Yeah. So Adam, you just said a mouthful there. And I want to unpack some of that. So you kind of half answered my question already, but I just want to get like big picture. What were the driving factors behind this growth? And it feels like that this is product led growth. You mentioned the average Metacritics and we had some just like universally beloved games last year, but also just it seemed like much broader adoption of these games than normal. So it's like my headspace on it. And I'd like you to kind of either confirm or poke holes in this is we had a disproportionate amount of great products. But also maybe there was socioeconomic conditions that caused higher adoption and more game time on PC console. And what I'm thinking of specifically is like as work from home is more normalized, very anecdotal, but I know for me, like my share of gaming time 
from mobile to home devices has definitely shifted more in the home device area as I'm not like either commuting or stuck in an office. So I'm just curious, like my gut read there on quality plus changing macro conditions of like how people are spending their time as driving factors. Adam and Christian, like, what do you think are the main macro factors behind this? I feel like what it's not, and I know we're going to get more into this, is that it's the industry pushing way more advertising of these products down our throats. It doesn't feel like that's the driving factor at all. But yeah, I'd love you guys to speak to kind of our assumptions of what's driving this and what you guys actually found. I think some of those things that you're talking about were probably not best to speak on. Like, I mean, we don't do user research studies on consumer preferences and are, you know, hey, gamer, are you spending more time on PC than on mobile because you're at home more? Like, I think some of those certainly have anecdotal evidence or own personal thoughts. I think from a business and data standpoint, like, I don't know that we necessarily see any of that. We do see time spent in games and game sessions and things like that. And like, all of those are way up on PC. And I think one of the things this year that was surprising, and I wouldn't have probably said that at the beginning of the year, is set number of sessions and session length are up even without free-to-play games being up. Like most of the growth this year came from premium, mostly single player, some have multiplayer elements, but like by and large single player story-driven hit games. Those are not games that historically are like play many, many, many times for very, very long periods of time. They're like you know, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 hour experiences, and then people move on. But some of these games, the depth in the amount of hours players can put in these games is so high that the players are spending too much time in them. And I think that's something where when free-to-play games first started kind of becoming popular, both in mobile and PC console, there was this notion of like, well, you're giving away a game that has in hours of fun now for free. And so the consumer value is just flipped. Like why spend $60 on a game when I can play a game that's just as fun for free? I think in some ways this year, there's been more of a balancing of like, in order to have fun in a free-to-play game and especially like a PC console one, like you're into the battle pass, maybe you're mm-hmm. into some other type of in-game purchases that you kind of need to do to feel like you're either competitive or hanging out with your friends or your character looks cool, whatever it is, there's cost of being a free-to-play player is not zero anymore. And so now all of a sudden, well, geez, 60, 70, $80 for Hogwarts Legacy that I can put 400 hours into all of a sudden, now that feels like a great value for my money. So I think the the yeah. data has sort of borne out that on those premium experiences, more time and more sessions than we've ever seen before. Right. So on that last point, just to put a bow on it, basically saying as free-to-play economics have become more refined slash aggressive, what some years back may have been, you know, when we're looking at the value proposition versus cost, you know, value in, in fun, in free-to-play and call it its glory days or first era, it was hard to make that justification of the premium purchase. But now that we've pushed free-to-play monetization so aggressively, paying $60 flat is more appealing maybe than it was in the more formative years of free-to-play from the gamer standpoint. Do I have your read on that? Yeah, certainly not universally, but definitely yeah. on, on the margins and certainly some of the most successful games. You know, The, the amount of hours we see in a game like Baldur's Gate 3 compared to even really successful free-to-play games, is just so high. People spend so much time in that game and it's cheap. It's dirt cheap for the amount of hours, time, fun per hour. It's an incredible value. I've got some anecdotal evidence to that as well. There's something that I've been unofficially tracking since I've started working in the games advertising space is who around me and my peer groups, either friends or family, I've started picking up gaming in the last couple of years that really were not people that I would consider to be gamers before. A story I have like every gaming console there is. My Nintendo Switch does not get enough love. 
It collects dust for the most part. I really only take it with me when I'm going on a trip or something like this. And within the last year or two, my wife has completely taken over that console. Like she's on it all the time, playing Animal Crossing, playing Overcooked. How much of that is marketing reaching her? I don't know, but these are high quality experiences that she sinks tons of tens of hours into. And three years ago, five years ago, I couldn't have told you that I would have expected her to ever pick up a game like that and sink so many hours into it. I have a brother that's the same way. I mean, even my mom, my mom is on games from time to time. So there are much more high quality experiences to choose from. There is such a broad catalog of different types of games to reach different types of gamers. And I think that matters when we're talking about the growth of games as an industry. Right. And Christian, it sounds like you're speaking to the phenomenon of people who now play video games regularly, but I assume all of those friends and family members you mentioned probably don't self-identify as gamers. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, maybe now I could probably convince my wife to say she's a gamer because we've got sure. a Baldur's Gate 3 run through that we're playing. There's right no now, coming but... back from that one once you start hitting <laughs> hard drives. Yes. I think we have reached the point of no return on that one. But yes, for the most part, these people would not self-identify as gamers and yet they're playing games. Like I can ask them about, oh, how's it been playing the finals to my brother or to my mom, the games that she's playing and like she can tell me her experience, you know? So it's an interesting shift that I wouldn't have expected even a few years ago. Nice. Yeah. Well, should we go from here into a little more specifics of the report, which had a focus on advertising spend for mobile and PC? And should we dig into that and maybe just starting with some of the macro trends that you guys saw around the actual digital marketing spend? Sure. Yeah. The key trends that really showed up for us this past year when we were looking at the data were a few key things. The biggest one is that we're starting to see a lot of publishers lean more into the first party relationship with their players. So talking about account systems or email addresses, trying to secure that relationship. There are a few reasons for this. Part of it is independence. Part of it is privacy. What we're, I think, starting to see is a bifurcation in how advertising and privacy policies are going to work in the future. The one path is clean room focused solution where both sides are similarly blind to what's going on on the other side, but we're still going to try to get some performance data out of this. The other side is a path where publishers and advertisers are going to own more of this relationship with their customers and players. I think for our specific advertisers, we're starting to see a lot more of them push down that path. And they've gotten a lot of incredible performance gained by owning that relationship. There's a lot you can do once you secure that relationship with the player. That was probably the biggest thing that we noticed this year. Secondary to that, there's the Twitter X story. This was a something that we were really keen on seeing by the time the end of the year rolled around, like how did that perform? Because we see what's going on in other industries. How is that performing for games? TikTok and Reddit were also great performers in that regard. And then finally, some of the stuff that we were already covering a little bit, the retention rates for free-to-play games versus premium games in a crowded field, how would that end up looking? And this past year, it was really the case that free-to-play games suffered in that regard. Got it. Yeah. One thing that jumped out to me in the report, the big bullet point you have up top around X, a 46% drop-off in click traffic on X, reported for game marketers between 22 and 2023. There's kind of a tale of two worlds when it comes to this, because obviously we saw brand advertisers pull out of X in droves with a lot of the drama that occurred with Elon X last year, rubbing advertisers the wrong way. 
The converse of that was those of us that are buying on a pure performance focus, teams like Uptick, we actually saw X performance wildly increase. It's just like the simple supply and demand, you know, like historically X traffic had been really overpriced relative to the return on ad spend you're able to get. We haven't seen like a corresponding actual drop in user usage relative to how much advertiser buying has dropped off. So we've actually seen the arbitrage ability to do performance media buying in X is actually fantastic right now. We've mentioned this on a few episodes. So I think that's just a very interesting tale of two different worlds, depending on what people are after with their media spend and what they're measuring in their success KPIs. Yeah, I think Christian, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things contrary to that that we saw is when the whatever Twitter takeover happened, it became X, and there was a lot of the brand advertising playing back. You started reading those articles that were like, you know, 30 of the top 35 advertisers on Twitter cut or whatever. Mm. We went and looked at all of our numbers. We basically didn't see that, right? Like game mm. companies didn't have the same whatever adverse reaction mm. to, to that happening. Those that were spinning kind of kept spinning. And so that reduction took kind of the whole year, right? Where that I'm pretty sure was Q1 early this year. So maybe that's just delayed, but I wouldn't attribute the decrease in Twitter and or X in game companies marketing budgets to the like immediate brand pullback of Elon Musk taking over, where I know that was more true in the CPG market and some of these other spaces where Okay, got it. That matters. Okay. So possible though that it was just delayed. They'd be like, oh yeah, maybe we should cut that. I don't think we ever saw it go over one, maybe one and a half percent of like marketing budget spend. So it was never a huge player in the PC console game space. Continues to not be a huge player. One thing to yeah, know about that platform, the report is a lot of this is very much performance marketing focus and that platform in particular just doesn't have some of the same level of support for that type of marketing as like a TikTok or Reddit or a Google or a Facebook. So that kind of hurts it as well. Macro trend that we've seen this year, and we'll probably get to this a little bit later on, is that a lot of marketers started flocking towards platforms where they knew that they could prove that performance either through historical data or they had support for those types of more performance marketing features for optimization around conversions, what's happening. This kind of thing is not as mature on the Twitter platform or X platform. What it was supposed to be coming, right? I think we read lots of various blog posts about how a lot of those features were coming in, but I don't think they exist yet. Can confirm. Non-mobile, I would say. Yeah, so I think this will be a little fun. I'd love to pull at the thread a little bit more of some of the notable standout trends that you're seeing at a per channel level. A lot of our audience are growth marketers, some working in PC, some in mobile, some in both. I know our team has a a lot more data and like a much larger percentage of our games portfolio at Uptick is in the mobile free-to-play side. I'd say we have like the minority of data on PC, so it might be fun to kind of compare some notes here of the big trends you saw. We just talked about one that's a little different, PC and mobile for Twitter. But yeah, what are maybe some of the other standout trends you saw at individual channel level? And maybe let's compare some notes there. Yeah, sure. I think the biggest standout one that jumped out to me when we first started reviewing the data was just how prevalent Meta and Google are as part of the overall media share are for our customers. So Meta has something like 80, almost 90% of all advertisers are spending money on Meta for their games. And then Google is second in that, and it's about 80%. That's a huge share. It's kind of like that, and then a huge cliff that drops off. Yeah, I would assume it's probably similar for mobile, and probably also includes Apple as well for you guys, but interested to see how big of a media share those platforms show up for you. 
Yeah, I would say a big thing that happened with the big two there on mobile is just a lot of advertiser capitulation, giving up on Google ads on iOS. So mm -hmm. with the privacy changes of scan uh, and deprecation of IDFA, which we've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast, I think there was several years of teams beating their head against the wall, still trying to figure out ways to do productive media buying on Facebook and Google on iOS. The mobile industry is candidly just done a horrible job of adopting to that. Apple didn't do us any favors. We have an innate bias here at Uptick as we built tech to, to solve for this. But outside of that, just when we meet teams, they've just capitulated and stopped doing large-scale media buying on Google more so because Google is the lowest opt-in of any of the channels because YouTube as a subsegment of Google traffic actually does not ask for user consent to be tracked. So literally none of those users are opted in for tracking Whereas on Facebook, we get about one out of seven users that we have the double opt-in from because Facebook does at least prompt for that consent. But it's hard for a lot of marketers who are used to working with perfect data to now only have the opt-in and monetization data for one out of seven users. So I'd say that's maybe the big delta in mm -hmm. trends of what we saw on the mobile front and some of the trends that you guys are discussing on the PC front. Yeah. So we had a drop-off for the IDFA deprecation for players who basically only interacted via like Facebook mobile app, but for PC and console advertisers, most of their campaigns are desktop focused, even if they're not desktop exclusive, they're desktop focused. So even if we lost a lot of sort of trackable players from a pure mobile space, they didn't make up the largest subset of addressable audience. So while it did have an effect, it wasn't six sevenths of the players didn't all of a sudden disappear from reporting when Facebook sort of like turned that non opt-in feature on. Got it. Yeah, I mean, well, I was going to say one of the other channels that is obviously very important for us is TikTok. That's been a huge, just most ascendant channel on the mobile side. I know this is also really relevant in, to your audience. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we could talk a little bit about TikTok. So it makes a, a big part of our customers' plans for both the performance advertising aspect of things and also the influencer side as well. So we're kind of seeing a lot of TikTok mm -hmm. activity in both of those different types of efforts for performance advertising in particular, I think probably on last year's report, we were just starting to see a lot of more major advertisers start to pick up TikTok as a platform. So this would have been going into late 2022. I think a lot of people saw how performant that was and that there was some opportunity there. And a lot more people adopted TikTok as a platform this year. So it's different types of content. There are different challenges that we've seen advertisers run into when trying to make ads for this platform, but there is a lot of space there to try to capture new players. So we've seen a lot of our customers have success with it. Yeah. And I would actually really agree from what we've seen on the PC side of our client base here at Uptick. It really surprised us actually the first time because the first couple of clients of ours that we wanted to test TikTok for PC games, they kind of begrudgingly allowed us to. We just wanted to get some data on it because it's counterintuitive. TikTok Essentially being a mobile primary experience. Mobile exclusive. I actually don't even think they have a web client, do they? they have uh, a web there is a website. Yeah. yeah, but it's very reduced functionality. It's a bad experience. Yeah, it's definitely not how most people are consuming TikTok content. And we found, shockingly, that for a number of our tests, it was actually more cost efficient to bring a user through a mobile TikTok flow where they still yeah. have to come back to their PC separately and install the game using game side tracking for some of our partners, a shout out. This was more cost-effective than driving from a PC-first competitor, such as PC targeting on Meta or on Google. 
for anyone listening, this is like a very big tip for your testing of PC marketing. If you have not tried marketing TikTok mobile advertising flows to PC games, even if they're not on mobile at all, is very much worth testing. I'd be curious what your opinion is on that, because one thing that I've noticed, mm -hmm. it's remarkable to me, the power of the targeting that they have. I mean, that's the name of their entire platform is like the algorithm to get content in front of you that you care about. Obviously, that has kind of carried over to the advertising side of things. The way they're able to target user interests is pretty impressive for a platform that's so young. I'm curious if that's what you're kind of attributing some of that performance to, if there was something else unique that you did that you think was really powerful for those campaigns that you said did very well. I wish I could say that there's like a ton of uptick secret sauce on this, but, you know, we try to be very, very candid. You know, there's certain advertising channels where either the human operator part or the layer of third party tools can add a lot of value to the optimization cycle for meta, Google, TikTok, these channels just have badass algorithms. I always say it's more akin to animal husbandry. It's like different operators will get different results. I see Adam wincing, but just roll it. Like, I'm just wondering, like, is that a relatable analogy for most of you here? Because like, look, for me, I'm like, is that a hard thing? Is that an easy thing? I don't have a lot of experience. I, I guess it's hard. Okay, it's hard. Apparently only- You don't always do what you want, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I take for granted that everyone else grew up with like a hundred homing pigeons, a dozen chickens, and other various farm animals. I would say the one thing that I think Warren is being slightly modest about for us is like, we do have a bunch of creatives who are very, very entrenched in TikTok and understand how the creative right. system works there. That's yes. different than the power of the algorithm. Well, well if, if I may be allowed to complete my animal husbandry analogy, yeah, so okay. it's less about pulling the levers and more about what you feed the algorithm and the cues that you give the algorithm. And every one of those little signals mean a ton because the algorithm is so powerful. Whereas like if you're buying on a large scale programmatic network from hundreds of thousands of unique sources, an additional level of optimization on top of what the ad network is doing can be super powerful and really accelerate things. In this case, just feeding a more engaging creative or just picking a smarter behavioral trait in the game user flow for an optimization signal these are the things that massively move the needle and let the algorithm do the rest. So that's where the animal husbandry analogy comes from is it's more like how you coax it to do the thing. It's not that you're manually pulling a ton of levers to do it. See, the feedback loop. I think that that's something yeah. that you will find almost across the board with the types of channels that make their way into these reports is that one, they have really strong audiences and they know a lot about their audiences. And then two, Almost all of them have those very strong feedback loops where you can feed conversion data back to them and they can fine tune those algorithms typically on your behalf. There are some manual options that you can do there as well, but to make sure that you're reaching the right audiences, the ones that are most interested in your game, the ones that are most likely to spend money or keep coming back, whatever the particular goals of the campaign are. Cool. Well, I think the last main traditional user acquisition channel that's worth discussing before we talk about influencers, which I think is definitely worth us doing, just given your guys' depth of knowledge there, is Reddit, which is obviously very, very relevant for the PC and console audience. So do you want to talk a little a bit about how you're seeing PC and console marketers leverage Reddit, what the effectiveness is there? Yeah. The things that we've seen a lot this year, you know, Reddit has been trending up the past couple of years that we've done these reports. And it's actually remarkable because they're still building out a lot of the support for some of that optimization piece that we were talking about that some of the other platforms already have. And they're still punching in this weight class, which is actually pretty great to see. 
And I know that they're building some of those things to come out soon. So we expect that this will only get better. But I think the thing that Reddit has going for it that we saw a lot of advertisers use this year are a couple of different things. One, the community aspect there is very strong. And Reddit, like all of these other platforms, knows a lot about their community and they have the tools for these communities to pop up organically. Their advertising offers some pretty unique ways to reach different types of communities, reach adjacent communities, which may be something we'll talk about the influencer side is something that's often interesting to us to find is that sometimes the best place to fish is right next to where you think all the fish are going to be. Mm -hmm. And so those adjacent communities tend to be really high performing and they have some really unique ways to reach those things like audience takeovers, ways where you can reach an entire genre or entire subject, ways that you can reach users within the actual comment section within those threads, just really unique ways that you don't really find those on all of the other platforms very consistently. So I think because of all of this, our advertisers have found some great performance on Reddit. And as they continue to mature some of these tools for the performance advertising ecosystem, we expect that next year they'll probably do just as good, if not even better. Yeah, Christina, I think you made some really good points there. I mean, to me, Reddit is a little bit of uh, not necessarily the inverse, like Reddit has such an amazing user base for people working in gaming. But you alluded to this, Christian, I'll say a little more explicitly, they're really behind um, those other networks we just mentioned as far as like how powerful their algorithm is to kind of do the work for you. Mm -hmm. So we find it is one of those channels where a lot more can be controlled or needs to be managed by them in order to get a more optimal results. But it sounds like, you know, you guys are obviously pretty close to Reddit team and a lot of this stuff is in development. If they do get a powerful programmatic element to their buying, I think Reddit could really come from behind it to become a super meaningful network. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think they just have a couple of big advantages, right? Like they have mm-hmm. PC, the audience of people who play PC games yeah. are just more likely to be Reddit users than Twitter like yeah, overlap, you know? Yeah. I mean, compared to Facebook.com, Facebook, it does not have the same penetration of PC gamers, at least in terms mm-hmm. of like daily or weekly logins. And then I think the thing that has changed or anecdotally the performance I've seen is just more investment in the right creatives. And Reddit is different in that, like, obviously yeah. you're not going to take your creative from Google and throw it on Reddit, but but figured out what actually works and feels organic. And I think that's you know true on most of these platforms mm-hmm. and TikTok especially, but I think TikTok and Reddit are the two where like the delta between a good and a bad creative is just so wide where I think sometimes, you know, a Google search ad or whatever, it's like, okay, how different is each of these words? Maybe marginally, but how different is a Reddit creative that you look and go, ooh, that's cringe versus like, oh, I thought this was an organic post about some interesting right. game I was going to check out. The fact that it said sponsored or promoted, like I didn't even really notice that. So um, hmm. I, I do think they've been around longer, more people have done it. Their team is helpful in pointing you in the right direction as well. But a lot of it comes down to good creative. It's a good point, Adam. And looking through some other data in your report, one thing you guys touched on was just sort of the TikTok ads becoming more effective as a channel. And I think you guys alluded to it, but I think it's really as we as marketers use these channels for a while, we move from just slamming our defaults go to ads and in, into that channel to learning the nuances of how people use that channel, the kind of content that feels native to them and making custom ads that speak to those users more. So with TikTok now being relevant for several years, everyone knows that you need to make very bespoke native feeling content for it. And Reddit feels like that same story, but maybe just a year or two behind where I definitely see the same thing as you mentioned, Adam, of like, a higher percentage of the ads really starting to feel native. I am sure along with that, the efficacy of those ads are also increasing. 
Yeah, you cringe less. Yes. <laughs> it's also a funny place because it's like probably the place where the text actually matters the most out of like <laughs> any platform by far. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, usually we say it's text doesn't really matter much, but in Reddit, it sure. Sure does. Yeah, I scroll and when you see words that don't look like a Reddit post, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You no, know, we're so trained. Anyway, the last one I think it's maybe worth talking about while well, we still got a little bit of time is let's talk about influencers because I know that's a huge part of your guys' overall business. So just talk a little bit about how that business has evolved, how important it is, and how to do it effectively for PC and possibly marketers in 2023 and 2024. Yeah, I think this is one where like I kind of wish there was a better answer than this, but the answer is like, it hasn't actually changed that much. It, people are getting better at it, but there's a lot of things that when you read... You know, five news trends and influencer marketing. Like read a bunch of those ones that came out in 2024 and they're the same ones from 2018. You know, like micro influencers, more performance deals, like, you know, less focus on top 10 or whatever. And it's like, sure, but none of that is really necessarily proven out to be the case. The supply and demand, which I would have imagined a few years ago would have flipped, hasn't. It's still roughly the same. Top content creators are still in wild demand. They are still getting 50 to 100 deals a week that they are turning 80 to 95% of them down. Getting in front of those creators, getting them to play your game and talk about your game is hard and expensive, and that hasn't changed. The willingness to take performance-driven deals has not changed um, in that. And that is extremely low. (laughs) That is extremely low and like sort of fine at some very, very small scale, you can do it, but no one has done it scalably ever. So that's uh, at least in gaming. So that is all challenging. I think what has changed is the call best practices have become more accepted. So five years ago, we would have told everyone the same thing, which is like, don't write a script, give it to a creator and expect them to read it and have a good piece of like influencer marketing. Right. That has never happened and it never will happen. Like that's not what makes influencer marketing successful. Five years ago, I don't know, 50% of call them like AAA game companies didn't care and wanted to do that. I would right. say now it's probably 10%. It's not zero, but it's it's probably you know not close to fifty either. So yeah, 10, 10 to twenty percent maybe. So some of those best practicey things are now more industry standard than they were. You know, even more tactical stuff like usage rights. Again, five years ago, probably fifty percent of AAA game companies would put insane things in contracts like we have indefinite usage rights for your likeness for anything we ever want to use it for. Insane. No mm-hmm. reasonable person should ever sign an agreement that says that. of game companies, AAA game companies probably tried to get that term in five years ago. Now that's probably 10. So it has gotten better, more sophisticated. Certainly the data that we use, like sort of like game site, but I think the data that the industry broadly uses is also like moved in the right direction. Less focus on things like follower counts and, and, you know, more focus on things like audience reach for games like mine, my game genre, my competitors, things like that that yeah. go into buy, buying decisions and work decisions. So I would say the industry is like broadly moving in the right direction, but it's not new, new. It's mostly the same stuff that was true a few years ago that is just more true now and more accepted now than it was then, where maybe that was the idea of working with 100 mid-tier content creators. Five years ago, it was like no one was doing that. And now like, oh, people are doing that. So maybe not the sexiest answer, but probably my best answer. Yeah. And and you guys are a lot closer. You know, we dabble and some of our partners will dabble in, in aspects of working with KOLs or influencers, content creators, call it what you will. But one general trend I've seen, and please correct me if you think it's off base, is the industry sort of better learning how to apply concepts and theories from performance paid advertising to influencer, even though it's not one-to-one. So like I'll give an example 
kind of restating something you just said, Adam, which is looking beyond just like follower count. Like when we're doing performance buying, you're never like, well, just buy from the biggest app possible or the biggest website possible. But I feel like in the early days of influencer, there would be pushback if there was a proposal where it's like, well, I've never heard any of these people. Why would we want to work with them? We want to work with the big names. And I think what I see teams start to realize is in the same principles as performance media buying, what is the eCPM? What is the cost of the impression or the eyeball? And what is the relevance of each impression? It's not one-to-one and we can't measure it as exact as we do in performance media buying. But that's something that at least the teams we work with, we see that mindset starting to be applied and them getting why we might recommend, yeah, okay, we don't need to work with like these large Twitch streamers for a given project. Like these are more people in your micro niche, they're smaller Twitter accounts, but they have exactly the following you want and their cost is right for what we get from them. I'm projecting a bit, but that's a trend I see. Would you guys say that that the industry is evolving that way? Yeah, I would. I would say, I think Mm -hmm. the actual reason, which we'll just explain it a little better is 10 years ago, I'd say like influencer marketing in games was broadly a PR function, right? It was at least at big AAA was like, they might've had people who were used to deal with celebrities. And then they're like, oh, I guess we treat these people like celebrities. Or they said like, these content creators are like more like press. They're doing reviews of our games. Let's treat them like press. And so it was this PR function. And you can imagine that PR is not full of performance marketing people. That shift from it being a PR function to what it is now. And I think at the best companies, like the most sophisticated sort of influencer companies, it's its own discipline. Uh, influencer is its own discipline. And it borrows from PR, it borrows from community, and it mm-hmm. borrows from marketing. I can usually tell how sophisticated a company is in their sort of influencer marketing capabilities by like where that division sits in the organization. Mm-hmm. If it mm-hmm. sits in the PR org versus it's under marketing or sits under community, it can kind of tell you. I think that kind of explains the phenomenon you're seeing, Warren, which is, yeah, if you took a person with five years of mobile app UA experience and said, you're now in charge of influencer marketing. Well, yeah, they're going to do all of the things you said. They're going to quickly learn the data that matters, the data that doesn't, what drives performance, what doesn't, whether there's like perfect measurement, which there's not, you know, as a a measurement company, we do a ton of measurement for influencer. It's not perfect. You don't have one-to-one click-through, view-through tracking on every single Twitch stream or YouTube video. So you're having to extrapolate from the data that you do have and the deterministic attribution and the lift and all the other things that you can do to kind of understand what's effective. Learning from that and saying, okay, well, these are the types of deals we do that actually drive value. And these are the ones that don't. These are the type of creators that drive value. And these are the ones that don't. Those things come from people with more historically performance, you know, marketing backgrounds where they have that discipline, they have that experience and the brain works that way. It happens more infrequently when it's a community manager than used to managing a community of thousands or hundreds of thousands of gamers. And now they're also managing all of the influencers that they're not going to necessarily treat it with the same level of analytical rigor. So I do think that we're seeing more and more influencer stuff be outstanding marketing. And I think when that happens, you get more performance, you get more data, you get more analytical rigor. Awesome. Well, we're getting just about time, but before I go, I want to hit you with a question that wasn't on the outline. I want you to look forward to the end. It's now a end of 2024. You're doing your year in review right up of 2024. What's changed? What is an evolution that we're going to see in 2024 as directed by site? What do you got, Christian? Here's what I think. I think that end of the year, people will probably be more sophisticated and active in looking for solutions to whatever privacy changes come down the pipeline. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff that's kind of been bubbling up for a long time. I don't think it goes as far as 
making like monumental changes. I know that Google is doing some cookie deprecation. There are some things about privacy sandbox things that are coming out. Yes. I don't think that will move as quickly to make monumental changes by the end of the year. We shall see. But I think what we will see is a lot of more advertisers thinking about this in a much more proactive way. One of the things that I mentioned at the beginning is kind of this bifurcation between how different advertisers are thinking about privacy. Are we going to go lean towards more of a cleaner type solution with our advertising partners? Or are we going to go towards trying to own this first party relationship with our players? A lot of people are still in the middle, not thinking about that. I think we're going to see a lot more advertisers kind of pick a side there and, and try to choose the solution. Awesome. Adam, I mean, it's I to pick, yeah, if I had to pick one, I probably would say that I think that TikTok is probably going to be the biggest growth channel. Like kind of, again, it was, it was last year, but looking at the percent of team companies that have TikTok in their marketing budgets, I think goes way, way up. The dollar allocation to TikTok, I also think goes way up a variety of reasons. I think they're super aggressive in terms of investing in their business. They are actively making changes and feature requests based on partners like us and partners like many of our customers. That's great. I would say that's not always been the case for some of the major kind of advertisers in the industry. They have large businesses. And I would not say that PC console gaming is something that they prioritize as, hey, we want to make sure that we have the best advertising platform for PC and console games. I've seen that from TikTok. So I, I think they're going to be a huge winner. I also think just in terms of the mix of where players like to discover games, they like to see other people play them, other people talk about them. TikTok usually a really fast way of doing that in a quick way of going, oh, this thing looked cool. Let me check it out. Right. Uh, I also think there'll be some upgrades in terms of the flows. Like you sort of mentioned the flow you use, which you think is bad, but still works. I think by the end of the year, there will be a much better flow that works even better that will cut out some percent of that kind of drop that you're used to seeing. So that would probably be my biggest, and I'll call it winner change uh, from now to this time next year. And the area, yeah, the, the TikTok hat trick, three years of maximum growth. Cool. Now awesome. it's harder, right? You know, bigger baseline <laughs> to grow off. Yeah, it does. Large numbers. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Let's get harder. Well, we're just about out of time. Christian, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone wants to get a hold of either you, learn more about GameSite or get access to this report, how can they do that? I'm on Twitter at Adam S. Lieb. Uh, so you can go to our website, gamesite.io. We have like, a, I don't know, support there and chat there and demo requests and all that kind of fun stuff there on the website. I'm also on LinkedIn. So that would just be where to find me. But yeah, we're always in the support channel, looking out for people looking for help when they're trying to measure performance of their games advertising. Awesome. Well, also, we will link the report and the blog article and on the podcast as well. Yeah, awesome. check out the report. And we're always looking for other prompts, you know, other things people are curious about, things that maybe weren't in that report that people would love to hear about. Always love to hear that from customers, current or potential. So ideas awesome. are welcome. Great. Warren, take us out. Awesome. Yeah, Adam and Kristen, it was great having you guys on. Everyone, make sure to check out GameSite if you're doing anything in the space of PC and console marketing. The people are great. The tools are great. Definitely one of our supported providers for Uptick platform. Speaking of which, Uptick is the people that brought you the podcast today. So if you're doing anything to grow your game, if you need people to help you grow your game with user acquisition, data analysis, creative development, Web3 growth strategies. We do all that fun stuff. We love meeting teams, building great games and always happy to help. You can reach us at our website. It's uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. And bonus plug, if anyone in the industry is going to DICE, make sure to check out the Magic the Gathering 
after-party site event sponsored by the game site team. They will be there. I will be there. And it should be fun. What's the date of that? It would be February 13th. It's the Wednesday night at Dice. Awesome. And it is not yet sold out. But last I checked, some of the other Dice parties were sold out. So move fast. Yes. And there are both casual and competitive queues. So if you just want to show up and have fun and get some cards, you can do that. And if you want to compete for big prizes, you can do that as well. Awesome. Talk soon.